We're going to be talking to Mary Ann Esposito, just about everybody's favorite chef. <laughs> and she's going to tell us more about um, her latest book, which addresses something that um, it was very close to my heart and my family. Uh, it's the latest of the Chow Italia series, which, of course, you all know from her 10 million cookbooks and PBS, the series. Um, but this was about gardening, but also with her fabulous recipes. Um, the subtitle of this one, Chow Italia, Plant Harvest Cook. Um, it, it's a good place to start for anybody, but even people who are experienced gardeners, you have some really good tips in here from experience. Oh, absolutely. And I tell you in the introduction to this book that everything that I know about vegetable gardening, I learned from my husband, Gaetano, who's a master gardener. So uh, every, everything in the book is based on a lot of his knowledge. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's really good stuff to know because, um, I mean, I first attempted, because I grew up with all these gardeners, when we lived in D.C., I attempted to plant my first vegetable garden on my own, and uh, it was a property um, that had never had anything but roses. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, you, you really had a challenge there. It was terrible. Well, my total harvest was an appetizer course. <laughs> it was two, it was two green beans. Oh, Don't tell her that. Well, I mean, you're right on target here with uh, everybody seems to be back interested in gardening now, uh, I guess, yeah. as a result of, of a new focus on what's healthy, what's fresh. Uh, and all the changes that came about during the pandemic. Um, but it's not always as easy as people assume, or, or as I assume when I stuck some seeds in the ground in D.C. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this is why I tell you, uh, when you, when you're thinking about starting a garden, the first thing you should be thinking about is make it small. Don't think too big exactly. because that's a big mistake, uh, especially if you're a first-time gardener. You want to be able to handle uh, growing vegetables that uh, you know, are going to be successful for you. And if you bite off more than you can chew, it's, it's probably going to be you know, not, not such a satisfying experience. So I, I tell you, think small when you're going to start out. I think that's very, very wise advice because it could be overwhelming. I mean, you Mm -hmm. do point out in this book that it's not as easy as everybody thinks. It's a lot of hard work and it takes a lot of planning. And you're you're fortunate to have a husband who knows about how to grow things. (laughs) Yes. Uh, The thing thing is, Anne, that... um, when I start to think about the process of gardening from digging the dirt to planting the seedlings to putting them in the ground to watching them grow to harvesting them and cooking them, you couldn't put a price on these vegetables in terms no. of you know, the amount of time. But the quality is what you're after. So the quality mm-hmm. of homegrown uh, vegetables. But I also tell you that Look, you don't have to have a garden patch in order to use this book. Because this book is designed as a dual-purpose book. If you want to plant vegetables, seedlings, you want to get your hands in the dirt, well, then this book is for you. But if you just want to cook the recipes, the over 100 recipes that are in the book, you can do it by just going to your grocery store or your farmer's market, but picking things that, as I tell you in the book, are in season. That is so critical to Italian cooking. Cook in right. season. Yes, I mean, it, it's true. But, you know, the, um, you can, there are all kinds of ways, co-ops and, and all kinds of things yes. that, that you could take advantage of now. Yes. Yes. And yes. the whole idea is, I mean, it should be grown as close to where you're going to be cooking it. And um, Well, that's and, true. 
you know, you could yeah. do container gardening on your patio if you don't have a plot of land. You could join a community garden. Those are very right. popular right now. You can, yeah, you know, support, yeah, you can support your farmer's market. Or, as I said before, just go to the grocery store and buy the freshest vegetables you can find to make the recipes and use those vegetables that are in season at the time. Yes. And um, the, the, I, I loved your, your story about the do not touch. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this local farmer's market here, um, they, they had so many signs around, and they weren't Italian even, so many signs <laughs> around saying, and I mean, one had a, a, a coconut hanging, and it said, oh. squeeze me, don't squeeze the fruit. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. This is so, um, this is almost a law in Italy. And the signs in all of the farmer's markets say, non toccare, which in Italian means do not touch. You tell the vendor, you tell the vendor what you want, you know, and then what you're going to do with it, and they will pick it out for you. Which I think is a good practice because, you know, as you say, too many people squeezing tomatoes and, yeah, and other vegetables. It's not, first of all, it's not sanitary. And that's number one. Number two, mm-hmm. you know, that ruins the, the vegetables. Um, mm-hmm. and, and number three, you could get some really sound advice from the vegetable uh, vendor by asking, you know, I'm going to make a, uh, a casserole tonight and I need some small zucchini, not large. I don't want ones that are very speedy and dry. And, you know, they, they're very willing to help you. At least this is true in Italy. I'm not so sure about in supermarkets anymore. Yeah. But yeah, if you go to a community garden, you know, you know that stuff is fresh. It's, it's, it's right from the dirt. You know, who is that, the, the guy in England who have it, that we always, the food writer, he, he was editor for one of the... Um, the weekend. He was, he was editor of the Observer, the Observer Food Monthly. Yeah, and he wrote a, a book about his community garden uh, in, mm-hmm. in England called Lot Something or Other, whatever the number was, and mm-hmm. it was a whole social setup, a network. Uh, yeah. And to grow in England is a challenge. I mean, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> right. I was getting a little better because, I mean, it used to be that you wouldn't be able to ripen a tomato outside of a greenhouse. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. now they're having heat no. waves. I mean, I'm not right. just saying that's yeah. good, but I'm just saying it's right. different. It's different. With climate change, yes, it's different. And that's one of the things that I, I don't specifically address climate change in the book but what i do tell you is you know grow those vegetables that are um typical for your zone so you need to if you're going to be a gardener go look at a gardening zone map and see where you live and there there will be a designated number that tells you (laughs) the zone you're in i mean i live in zone five which means that if i'm in new england and yeah. so I have to be careful when I plant things, you know, waiting till the last frost is over to plant lettuce, for instance. But if I lived in Georgia, I could mm-hmm. plant lettuce at least six weeks. Yeah, envious, before. all the times envious about yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. figs all year round. I mean, in, in South Carolina, our friends, mm-hmm. they didn't know what gold they had. They didn't even like figs. And I, I was living oh, in my mind. It was so well, I have a fig tree. I have two fig trees, but they're in pots. I need to bring them uh, yeah, in. Yeah, do you, do you cover them, them, bury them, or bring them in? No, I bring them in. They're in pots, and I put them in um, in the garage, which does not freeze, and I just okay. they just go dormant, and I don't do anything to them until the following spring when, you know, again, it's not windy and it's not cold, and then we'll wheel them out again. And they're very prolific, very prolific. That's very Italian to have a fig tree. Oh yeah, we had a neighbor, but he used to um, wrap his really yeah. thoroughly wrap it. Um, mm-hmm. And I know people who bend them over and kind of bury yes. them. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so yeah, on. That and, and that, and I always wanted to have a real bay leaf tree, but it, I I had bad experience with lemongrass because. Of course, we did put it out in the warmth, and it would grow. And so every year, it was bigger for having to bring it. In. 
Yes, yes. So that was the problem. She, she killed I was it. surprised. She, she killed it, Marion. She couldn't carry it anymore. You know, I just couldn't share it over. She, she committed lemongrass aside. <laughs> you, you never knew that word existed, right? Yeah, that's a new word, yes. <laughs> the funny part about it is I was perfectly happy to, to carry it in oh. <laughs> and, and decided its number was up. And when yeah. you decide your number is up, your number is up. Your number is up. <laughs> so it was. It was never very happy inside, anyhow. But now, I was surprised that, that you led into this book with this picture, gorgeous picture, I might say, of, of a uh, globe artichoke. Because oh, yeah. my mother had the most incredible green thumb, and we're, mm-hmm. we're um, I think, zone six. I can't remember, but the, the one total disaster she had was when she decided she was going to grow, um, well, two things, actually. The one was the artichokes, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that was hopeless, absolutely hopeless. And then the other one was um, asparagus, which, you know, you need, we live in the city. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, much space you need for asparagus. You know, it's the preparation yeah. of Oh, asparagus, and that's very tricky. But for artichokes, I mean, that was a challenge. And that artichoke photo that you see is the first globe artichoke that Guy got in his garden. And we, you know, we we live in New England, so first of all, you've got to call up Mother Nature and mm-hmm. tell her that you need at least 55 days when the temperature is constant in order for artichokes to grow. Well, you know, that's a tall order. But we babied them and watched them and made sure that, you know, they they weren't too cold. And lo and behold, we had globe artichokes. They they were beautiful, as you can see from the photo. Uh And I love artichokes. Yeah, And, and they're just such a, they're such a big part of Italian cooking that yes. uh, I couldn't imagine not having them in the, in the garden. Um, it, you emphasize something, of course, to start with, that, that my mother emphasizes. Preparation is everything. Um, yes. Her timetable, I think there might have been only one month out of the, the year that she mm-hmm. wasn't involved with the garden. And yeah. then it was pouring through seed catalogs. Oh, we like Johnny's, by the way, also. Oh, Johnny's. I'll tell them. They were such good friends in helping us develop the book. Really, really good. Johnny's is a, a very good company. Really? Yeah. I mean, I love, that's what I always order from, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, you know, the, you, you have some tips about soil analysis. My mother was always big on the soil. And yeah. um, almost everybody would have access to some kind of um, an extension program yes. from a yes. uh, local university. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you can find out. You can have your soil analyzed. You know what you're doing. You're not riding blind. That's right. Um, and yeah. That, yeah, and that's one of the first tips I tell you. Get a soil sample so that you know what, you're, what your soil needs. Because no yeah. soil is perfect. You're going to need mm-hmm. something, you know, to Yeah, we have a soil. lot of clay. Yeah, yeah. clay is mm-hmm. bad. But um, now you you also have chapters in in your book arranged according to the seasons, which yes. is it's it's a <laughs> a given. You have to work with within the seasons to do any of this gardening stuff. Yep. Well, what we do, and the first thing we do when in that chapter preparation is everything, is that in January. We are sitting down with a yellow legal pad of paper, and we are mapping out the garden for the coming year and where we are going to put our plants, uh, our seedlings, because I don't think a lot of people realize this as first-time gardeners, that you really need to pay attention to where you plant your vegetables each year. For instance, let's take tomatoes. It's a good example. So on year one in your garden, you plant your tomatoes, let's say, on the left-hand side of the garden. So in year two, you cannot plant your tomatoes again on the left-hand side of the garden 
because those plants have already extinguished the nutrients that are in that soil. So you need to put the tomatoes on the right side of the garden where the soil still has good balance and good nutrients. So you have to do that swap each year of moving your vegetables from one place to another if you're going to continue on as a gardener. <clears throat> so that's, so in January we map out what we're going to put in. And in the book, well, tell me this. I mean, can you actually successfully just amend the soil every year? I mean, it's, it's hard. Like, I've, I've run into a big problem with our raspberry yeah. bushes. Yeah. And you it's just too try. hard to move them. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, raspberries, that's a different subject. That's the, that, those are fruit trees, and those I don't deal with, you know, in okay. the book. But I know for vegetables that you have to uh-huh. do this because you want to make sure there's no, you know, a residual disease left in the soil that you can't really get uh, to. So it's best; it's the best insurance to move the tomatoes from year to year, from from one end of the garden to the other. That's that. But what about your herbs? You don't want to move all your Her- perennials. Herbs, herbs are perennials, so they're going. It's not like it's not like tomatoes where you have to plant them every year. Herbs are going to come up as a perennial every year. And I've never had a problem with, uh, with herbs. So herbs can stay where they are. There are some herbs that do better than others in the garden. For instance, where I live, you cannot leave rosemary in the garden. So we plant it in a pot and then put it in the ground so that by the time we're having the, the weather is getting cold, we yank it out of the ground in, with the pot and bring it in in a, a cool place where it can get some, some light. And then the next season, we bring it back out and put it back in the ground. So it's not as hardy here in New England as, say, it would be someplace else. Right. But, I mean, uh, my, yeah. my mother-in-law had a rosemary bush the size of a small tree, and she never yeah. even used it, but it, mm-hmm. she was in the north of England, and it, yeah. it didn't snow as much. Mm -hmm. that's what really killed it but things like parsley, thyme tarragon they'll all come back mint, that'll all come back uh, as perennial so you don't have to move those somebody told told us that one time that that parsley was good for a couple of years and then then you had to start over again yeah I I call it franken parsley it's just not the same when it comes back yeah, it's, it depends on what kind of parsley you're planting. We only plant the flat leaf variety, so we don't plant curly parsley. So sure. to, begin, to begin with, curly parsley has a very faint flavor. I don't think it, it's very flavorful at all. It's great if you want to decorate a plate with it. Uh, but flat leaf parsley is an entirely different thing. And yeah. we grow it in the ground, and it comes back every year, and it's very flavorful. So I think it depends, too, on what your microclimate is around where you live, you know, because certain things will survive a lot better than others, just depending on where they're placed. And our garden is on a hill, so it's, it's up high, and so it's warmer, uh, and it doesn't get, you know, as, it doesn't get as brutalized in cooler weather as maybe some plants would be that are at a lower uh, elevation, so that ha- that plays a big part in, in our garden. It's, it's high on a hill and it gets direct sun, at least eight hours a day, which is you know critical for any garden. You want at least six to, to eight hours of sunshine. So when you're planting your garden, that's another thing to take into consideration. Where are you going to position the garden? It has to have at least six to eight hours of sunlight daily. Now, Rosemary, talk, talk to us a little bit about seeds versus seedlings. Yes. Well, most of the things that we put in the garden, we grow from seeds. There are some things that we do not grow from seed, including broccoli. We've never had any luck growing broccoli from seed. But most of the seeds that we get, we get from an Italian uh, purveyor or we get them from Johnny's because the seeds are very reliable. So I would say that start with seeds that you know are coming from a good, reliable so- source. 
American proven types of seeds. So look for that on the package where it says American proven, and you'll know that those seeds are, oh, are going to Oh, that's interesting, yeah. Yeah. Most of the, the things that we plant from seed include lettuce, lots of lettuce. We grow spinach uh, from seed. We obviously grow the tomatoes from seed, although that can be tricky too. So, you know, if you're a little leery about trying to grow tomatoes in the first place, go to the, your garden center, a trusted garden center, and get the tomato seedlings and start with the seedlings. So a seedling is, a, is an already sprouted seed that you now have to, before you put it in the ground, you have to harden off. Yeah, that off. I still remember that. That was yeah. a major thing with my yeah. mother carting all these, these seedlings yeah. off to start. Yeah. <laughs> so you bring them outside so they can get used to those kinds of temperatures, and then you bring them in at night. You do this for a couple weeks before you know you're going to commit them to the ground. So that they have, you know, they're sturdy and they're, they're healthy, and they can take it when you put it, because it's a shock to them, when you put them in the ground. Because the minute you put these seedlings in the ground, they're going to go limp. That's, that's the first thing that happens. You put them in, and, you know, in a, an hour or so later, you're looking at them before you're starting to water them and mm-hmm. fertilize them. And, and they've, they've already drooped because it's a shock, <laughs> it's a shock value. It's the shock of putting them in the ground. And one of the things that Guy taught me early on is when you put your seedlings in the ground, when you take them out of the little grow pot yeah. at the base, you want to make sure that you kind of just open up the base so it's not compact, but it's opened up so all of those fine little roots will take hold once you put them in the ground. So I always spread them out a little bit. Now, they're very fragile. And they don't yeah. have a lot of soil around them. So you have to be careful with that. But it's better if you do try to just spread out those little sprout, uh, the, the, uh, yeah, the seedlings a little bit from, the, uh, from, the, from the, the sprouting end, from the end of the pot. Yeah, when, when, I'm, pl- when I'm planting seedlings, I, 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 I sort of dig a, dig a hole for each plant. Yeah. And then I, put, then I, and then I, I use a kitchen spoon to spoon some fertilizer in the bottom of the mm-hmm. hole. Yeah, that's and right. Then I, and then I put the plant in. Yes, that's right. And it, and it, and it, and it seems to work, but he, here's a funny thing I wanted, wanted to share with you because it's, it's really wonderful when you have a good surprise. Yes. Work, 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 working with a garden like most people do, like I do, for example, the, the sad part about it is you get very few surprises and most of them are not very good surprises. <laughs> well, that's gardening and it goes with the territory, so to speak, you know, I mean, you got to take the good days with the bad days and they're going to be frustrating bad days. But what, but what happened a couple of years ago and I still, I still am not sure what the plan was, but it was something like Swiss chard and, I, and mm-hmm. I, for, for some reason I chose to plant it with seeds. Uh ordinarily I wouldn't do that ordinarily I would cheat and use Uh seedlings and these these seeds never never emerged they emerged two two years later they all came up Wow, you know, well, I, could, well, that could I, could, be, I couldn't remember what the hell they were. But. Well, that's a nice surprise, and that could have happened because when you initially planted those seeds, maybe you planted them too deep. So over the that two years be. where they did finally come, you've eroded some of that soil that was there. You know, some oh, of that, yeah. top la- that top layer. So now they, they had a chance to poke through uh, the uh, the earth. So yeah, that's. That's a pro- you want to be careful not to put the seedlings in too deep. Um, right. you know, just okay. kind of very fine layer of soil over them. You, you don't want to go more than, you know, you, you poke your finger in the hole for, uh, you know, Swiss chard or for spinach or something like that. And they're very tiny seeds, so you just have to put a fine layer of the soil over them and then really soak them well after you've got them uh, planted. Now, you... If we turn our attention um, a little bit to the recipes, um, you have a lot of uh, Southern Italian influence in your recipes. Um, oh, sure, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, the one that drew my attention was um, your spaghetti with cauliflower. 
Yes, I, that was funny. in our family, but we added, what did we add to it? We added um, fennel fronds and onions sautéed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. And uh, then the other thing is Swiss chard. I never understood why it was called Swiss chard. You talk about that, and yes. you don't find Swiss chard used as often in, in non-Italian recipes. Um, but we used it all the time, and over the years, I guess people started putting spinach, replacing the Swiss chard yeah. with spinach. But there's something yeah. really special about the the texture of of Swiss chard. I think there really is, and you know, uh, we grew a variety called Bright Lights because the stems are different colors. Orange. Yeah, I, I like that because they're so pretty. Yeah. So pretty, yeah. So, I, I, and I tell people, I said, you know, Swiss chard is one of those vegetables like spinach where you really don't want to cook it to death. The leaves are very, they're thin, they're fragile. And all you really need to do after you rinse them well, and this is true for spinach too, is put them in a, I put them in a saute pan just with the water that's left on their leaves from rinsing them. Yeah, that's what I did. Cover on the pot. Yeah, cover on the pot and just let them wilt down. I mean, they're 90% water as it is. So why are you going to boil them to death in more water? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's much better to do that process of just, you know, quickly saute them down or steam them down before you saute them or however you're going to use a Swiss chard. And I have recipes in the book for a Swiss chard, uh, uh, little little Swiss chard balls, you know, that could be used for like an antipasto uh, or use Swiss chard in soup or you can use, you can fill the leaves of Swiss chard. There are so many ways to use Swiss chard. Yeah. Well, you have, I mean, you could tell that you were at, you're, you're writing recipes inspired by being at the source. Never oh, have sure. I seen oh, never have I seen a recipe for stuffed cucumber boats. And that would oh, be the last well, thing in my mind to think of. Yeah, well, um, yes, because you know once you harvest all these vegetables, then you, then then the chef aspect takes in. over, right? So now you're in the kitchen, you've got a boatload of, of cucumbers. What are you going to do with them all? I mean, you can only put so many in salads. So I've sautéed cucumbers. You like for a stir-fry, they're, they're delicious. And I decided that why not make like a, a nice tasty salad and make those cucumber boats, which also had chickpeas. So, you know, this becomes then something that's a complete little balanced offering because you've got protein in the chickpeas, right? And yeah. you've got the, the vegetable, the, the cucumber, and you've got herbs like thyme, and it makes it it's just a nice little refreshing summer salad. Now, one of my great successes, Rosemary, was pea shoots. Oh, yeah. Was what? <laughs> pea shoots. Oh, pea shoots. I love pea shoots. Yeah, yes. they're very good, yeah. And they're yeah, easy. They're oh, they're easy, yeah. Love yeah. pea shoots. They're wonderful. You know, even tossed with some pasta, they're very good. Uh, in a salad bowl, or you know, you could do just a, a pea shoot salad, just the pea shoots alone, you know, some nice yes. olive oil and, and uh, vinegar and a little salt. So, yes, I love pea shoots. Now, I was really surprised that you said garlic is so easy to grow. We never had any luck with garlic. No, well. In fact, my really mother good. always said you have to be, a sinner, I think she said it was, to grow garlic. Oh, well, then I guess I am. <laughs> I guess I'm a sinner. Yeah. Uh, well, we've never had a problem growing garlic. You know, most garlic in this country comes from China. So uh, Yeah, I know. I don't like that, actually. <laughs> yeah. And you don't know what's uh, in it. Yeah. The other thing is, I, I was just in the grocery store not too long ago, and I needed some, some uh, onions, and I'm over there by the garlic, and I'm noticing all these garlic bulbs are split. You know, they have a big crack in the middle. They're dried out. I mean, it's, yeah. You know, this should not be. We should not be, we should not be accepting this kind of right. thing as consumers. Right. Um, the, uh, I liked your recipe for spaghetti with garlic, olive oil, and walnuts. And this yes. is the kind of simplicity that I think has put Italian cuisine on the map in a big way. It's it's easy, it's healthy, it's 
fresh tasting, mm-hmm. and it's flavorful. And it's flavorful, and, and that's one of the big commandments of Italian regional cooking. Italian cooking depends on seasonality, so freshness, and keeping the treatments simple, as that recipe is. You know, you've yes. got good extra virgin olive oil. You've right. got a, a good pasta. You've got walnuts. You know, what? you don't need anything else. It's not, Italian food is not layered food with tons of different flavors on top of it. You get to appreciate the authenticity and the integrity of the ingredient that you're using to begin with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 had swordfish the other day. The other day, and I I painted it on one side with some olive oil that came to us as a trade gift from Frescobaldi in, mm-hmm. in, in Tuscany, and, and said, "Boy, this tastes good." I said, "I cheated." <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you're the cook in the family? Okay. <laughs> no, no, not hardly. No, not. Not really. <laughs> I mean, we both cook. But, um, you know, I mean, there, there are many tips you have in this book. And you you have inspiration. I mean, it gets you wanting to cook. I mean, never would I have thought that you could make Tuscan rosemary raisin rolls, and they look oh, fabulous. Yes. Oh, that's a classic. That's a classic uh, uh, merenda, as they call it in uh, Tuscany, where... In the past, children, when they came home from school, on their school break, okay. they would have these rolls with the rosemary and currants or raisins, uh, a yeasted, uh, a little roll. Um, so I wanted to include them in the book because I do talk about herbs in the book and how yes. you can use them. And I didn't want people to think that this book uh, was just about vegetables for vegetables' sake. This is a book that uses vegetables in different categories of food, from soup, anipasto, you know, vegetables with, with poultry, vegetables with, with meat, vegetables with fish, vegetables as salad, vegetables as dessert even. So uh, in the um, back section of the book, there's a, a wonderful cake where I use um, the rose geranium leaves because rose geraniums are an herb. and. Yeah. Uh, the, the herbs are part of the cake. They become part of the flavor of the cake. And uh, basil becomes uh, a syrup to infuse a uh, fresh fruit salad that I have in the book. Yes, and, I noticed yeah. that too. Yeah. And and I make a really wonderful pesto, but, um, you know, I don't follow any of the directions for the pesto you listed. I do it at Cuisinart. <laughs> well, that's fine. And I tell you, you can do it that way, but, you know, if you, if you really want to be authentic about it, you would use a mortar and a pestle. Oh, yeah, and well, that's that, what everyone says. Yeah. Yeah, so. and I tell you the story. I give you two versions of that recipe, one where you can do it in a food processor and right. one if you want to do it with a mortar and pestle. So, and, that, and, I, and I was startled to find out that um, the chicken I cooked last night, uh, you have a recipe for it. In, in your cookbook, um, the, the only difference being that I used with the rosemary, um, garlic, um, olive oil. I, I had, um, instead of fresh lemon, I used preserved lemon, and it was a wholly different Ooh. dish. Uh, that's yeah. I, I, it was really good. <laughs> yeah. I had some oh, for lunch, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Well, as usual, I mean, it, it, your your book is anticipated, and there's no disappointment here. Uh, listeners, get a hold of Marianne Esposito's Chow Italia Plant Harvest Cook, and you need to get it now so you're prepared to start this adventure in January when you That's start right. going through the seed catalogs. <laughs> That's exactly right, Anne. <laughs> Well, again, Marianne, thank you so much. And um, um, I'm, as always, I'm anticipating your next book. Oh, well, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to the two of you. And I Yeah, well, we enjoy it. Yeah, and I hope when you page through the book, you'll make that roasted whole head of cauliflower, which is very good. Oh, I need that because I, I wanted to ask you one final question here. Is I have half of a head of cauliflower. Uh, could yeah. I... Just cut the time in half. I think I'll do that because 
Yeah. That's good. Okay, so I'll do that one um, uh, tomorrow. Our son's going to be home, so it'll be good. Okay. okay. Thank you well, so much. That was already on my list. I meant to ask you about that because I've, I've, I've tried. I've never really succeeded in making sublime roasted cauliflower, but this looks like it has possibilities for success. Well, you Because <laughs> you start at the microwave, which helps. Yeah, yeah. That's a tip. Start in the microwave first. <laughs> it certainly is. Again, thank you, Marianne. Thank you, and, and happy holidays to both of you. Take and care. And you as well. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. The highlight, always, is talking to our friend Ori Zohar of Burlap and Barrel. Um, we that listen, listeners. You really need to get on this newsletter um, that comes out of Burlap and Barrel because there's something new that these people are doing every single week. <laughs> I don't know how you keep up with it, Ori. Um, but today, I thought we'd talk about. Let's get real basic. You have a really intriguing spice grinder that's come out. Uh, which yeah. I've never actually used a spice grinder, to tell you the truth. And the reason I haven't is because I was afraid of of the flavors carrying over from one to the X. But yours is different. Tell us about your spice grinder. Yeah, we, we partnered with it. First of all, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. <laughs> and it's always good to be I'm here always and chatting talking with you. To you. Yeah. Um, but we normally with spice grinders, we had a lot of people reaching out to us on the site asking us about our advice for the perfect spice grinder. And we'd always tell them some people would like mortar and pestles, but they're a little bit heavy. Some people yeah. would put spice in their pepper mills, but usually it just would work mostly with round spices. Mm-hmm. Um, some people would use a, a blade grinder, kind of like a coffee grinder, which is normally a pretty good solution because yeah, many of the coffee grinders have kind of removable cups and you can, dry, uh, you can uh, put them in the dishwasher, um, and they're relatively cheap. But we wanted oh, to have a solution of, of our own. Yeah, usually when people ask us, the blade grinders are pretty versatile and, and pretty low cost. Um, just don't, don't grind chilies on, on a grinder that you make your coffee on. You're, you're going to have spicy coffee for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we worked with a company called Finamil, and we tried a lot of different grinders, and this one was our favorite because it's a battery-powered grinder, so you can grind spices with only one hand because we've all been there when you're trying to kind of manipulate, you know, a, a piece of fish or vegetables or whatever, but if you have to use both hands to grind, then, then exactly. that can be really difficult. They also have a pod system with a kind of uh, uh, burr grinder, so kind of these two ceramic elements grinding against each other to create a really even and consistent and powerful grind. Um, but the biggest thing with it is that, that instead of it being a grinder that, that can only hold one spice, it has a little like, capsule system. So you kind of fill these capsules with whatever spice you want or even a spice blend, if you want, of whole spices. You uh-huh. snap the capsule into the grinder, and then you press the button, and it starts grinding. And our kit comes with two capsules, so you can kind of sw- have multiple things with one grinder and swap it out really easily. That sounds fabulous. Yeah. And you get them off your website? We get them off our website, and it won two Red Dot Awards, which is really a prestigious design award because it really is a creative design. Um, and then mm-hmm. two is it actually just got on the list of Oprah's favorite things for this year because why wouldn't oh, it be one of Oprah's sell. favorite things? Yeah, that's going to sell. <laughs> so we, you we, you we probably won't have any of those left for me to try if, if Oprah says yeah. so great. <laughs> if Oprah says so. And we got them to do it in a custom kind of package for us where we kind of wrote a bunch of spice recipes and kind of what it can grind on the, on the packaging. We got it in a custom burgundy color to match all the other burlap and barrel jars. And we got them to uh-huh. just include batteries so that you can kind of use it straight out of the box. Wonderful. It sounds heavenly. Good. Put me one of those. You better get one of those. <laughs> yeah, I want one of those. Now, um... Are there any really wild new spices that I've not tried? Because you seem to come up with all kinds of new ones all the time. 
Well, we always, we always are trying to have fun, new, and interesting things. And just I think maybe two things that I just will talk to you about. This year, for the first time, we introduced uh, our origin blends. And so our philosophy, we're a public benefit corporation or social enterprise, and our mission is to work with smallholder farmers and connect them to high-value markets, kind of leave more money with them instead of with all the intermediaries. So we were bringing single spices in from all over the world, but what we saw is some of our farmers were actually blending the spices into like the iconic blends that you know and love. So we, we said, okay, that's another way to kind of add even more value is why would we be making blends, grinding and blending spices in the U.S.? We'll just work with our partner farmers to do it according to their own traditional blends. So oh, great. we started with a single origin za'atar. So that's the za'atar, the herb itself, which is kind of a hyssop thyme herb with the sumac um, and the sesame, which is a classic Middle Eastern spice. And we brought it in from a co-op of farmers that, 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 in Palestine. That was on, wasn't that on your list? Oh, yeah, no, unless I was making it, yeah. Yeah, we use a lot of Zatar. And then we use <laughs> yeah, a lot of so Zatar you're going to love from... this one. Okay. It's, it's the yeah. best that I've ever had. Oh, and yeah, I, and yours is wonderful. Yeah. I, oh, mean, I, I, I can. That. Yeah, I really, I'll, I'll go to bed for that one. Yeah. Okay. Okay, you, you email me afterwards, and we'll figure it out. <laughs> the whole okay. 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 Um, uh, the other interesting one was the herbs de Provence because it turns out that none of the herbs de Provence are actually made in Provence, but ours yeah, well, is. Tell me so about we worked that. with some Why? farmers there. Why is I, that? I, base, I think that often what people do is, is most spice stores, you're getting spices that were kind of blended away from the origin. So if it's a local spice store and they do their own blending, they'll just get all the ingredients and blend it to some formula, to some kind of recipe that they have. Or sometimes it gets blended in massive, massive quantities after it arrives in the U.S. But really, there's not a lot of spice blending done at origin. Uh, it, it's often kind of done much later in the process. So you really lose okay. out on both the flavors and the kind of terroir of those spices because oh, yeah. it's, it's almost never spices from that origin. And two is your, it's based on a recipe that somebody else made, usually for like uh, an American audience. So you lose on some of the story and some of the history of it. So even there's one example of that with the herbs of the Provence is that all the herbs of Provence blends in the U.S., at least most of them that I've come across, have lavender in them. And when we talk to our partner farmers, they're like, listen, lavender grows in Provence, but not in this area. And we would never put it in our herbs de Provence. <laughs> they thought oh, it was my. insanity. And so, so it's been a little bit divisive with some of our customers, but, but we have to go by our farmer's word and, and our herbs de Provence yeah. don't have lavender in them. Yeah, I think I always had lavender in my herbs to Provence. Yeah, yeah it I was completely a foreign too. idea to them, which is just funny. Yeah, how funny is that? Um, no, no, you you work. You've worked always with your um, your growers, your producers, um, but you you're following, which I think is is a really good current trend, and that is collaborations with other companies and individuals and you always have some new ones coming out with that tell us about those yeah so so we found early on like that that we there's so many food companies that we admire and there's so many food entrepreneurs that we also admire and would love to find any way to work with and even early on in our business rancho gordo who we really really uh, look up I to i love him um yeah Put, put us, yes, yeah, Steve put us in one of his bean club boxes. And it was the biggest order we'd ever had. And all of a sudden, uh -huh. all these people that are buying a subscription to beans were finding out about our spices. And that really was meaningful for our business. So we want to do the same with other businesses. So we've had a really, really nice and successful kind of, uh, we brought in a jollof rice uh, a kind of spice blend from a woman oh, yeah. named Abena who runs a spice company called Pox Spice, but, but it's kind of a, a classic kind of African, the classic kind of African rice dish with tomato powder and, and, and peppers and all kinds of wonderful savory things. Um, wow. Just this weekend, we're going to be launching another collaboration with, with a totally different kind of company, Bitter Cube. They're a bitters company, and they've been using some of our spices to flavor their bitters. We came to them oh, yep. with a totally off-the-wall idea, we had way more cardamom seeds than we needed, and we wanted to put them to good use. 
So we pitched them on making a cardamom extract. So we just got this shipment in. It's so wonderful. It's so potent and intense. And we have these big bottles of Cloud Forest cardamom extract, and they're extracted in alcohol, and it's really potent, and you can put it in your coffee, and you can put it in your baked goods, or really anywhere where you'd use a vanilla extract. So we're hoping that, that, that people will get excited about just bringing the flavor of cardamom to a lot more of their food in this really versatile extract. How would that go with green tea? I think it would be really nice. We've actually heard a few of the teams had it for a few weeks, and so they're, they're putting it in, in everything, in coffee, in tea, in, in oatmeal. Um, and and it's, been, it's been really fun. Sounds terrific. Um, now, um, the, the um, sugars you were talking about. Oh, how the ones that so we're starting? Are they? Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, how well, many different? Yeah, I've been reading, we've been getting a lot of baking books, I guess it's because of the holidays. And uh, I never realized there were so many kinds of sugar. And they're always yeah. listed in the, in the ingredient list. Uh, but, but you're experimenting even further with them. Yeah, Tell there are many different that. kinds of sugar. And even earlier this year, speaking of collaborations, we collaborated with our friend Sylvie, who runs a great company called Just Date. And she has date syrup and pomegranate syrup. And actually, she was introducing a new date sugar. So we bought a bunch of our date sugar, and we mixed it with our spices, and we made a black lime date sugar, which we still have on our site, a vanilla date sugar. And wow. A kind of cinnamon sugar. And it was, it was, oh, no, sorry, ginger sugar was the last one. And date sugar is this kind of more of a whole food than the traditional cane sugar, at least white sugar is this really like, you know, like, like extracted, stripped down of its color, of its nutrients, of all that stuff. It's really this like, caloric delivery vehicle, but not really much one for flavor, for nuance, or for nutrients. And so date sugar is, is lower glycemic index. It's full of vitamins right. and nutrients. And, and we saw that people were getting really excited about an, an idea of kind of sweetening your food, but, but with a healthier alternative. So we started learning about it, and, and it turns out that what happens is, is cane sugar, in general, sugar is, is like a spice in that it starts with a plant, and then the plant is processed in some way, and we use it to flavor our food. And so we met uh, in Colombia a traditional like, panela cane sugar farmer, and we flew down there and met with them and saw how their, their fields are also integrated with their factory, that it's all done together into like this granulated sugar. And so we, we got interested in that. We met a wonderful woman in Vermont that's really running like a one-woman maple operation, a maple syrup operation, but she has been thinking and tinkering for a few years and finally found a way to, to really produce this really wonderfully dark maple syrup that's boiled over a wood fire and kind of reduced wow. instead of through this like bigger reverse osmosis industrial kind of setup that most maple sugar goes through. Jeez. And then she found a way to crystallize it into like kind of to granulate it into like a sugar texture, which apparently is really, really hard to do with the darker the maple syrup, the harder it is to do. So she walked us through a contraption of a few machines that she's kind of rigged together, <laughs> all these kind of manual machines of how high does she heat it, what does she then move it into, how does she stir it, all that into making a really delicious, really deep, deep maple sugar. But really that's just the beginning. I mean, you know, everybody knows about like the Indian jaggery and how sweet and buttery it is. Uh, there's a ton out of kind of East Asia there's a ton of coconut sugars, which are not made out of coconuts, right. but instead of the sap of, of the coconut palm. And so there's just, all, there's just this wide world of sugars. And when we go to the grocery store, just like what it was with spices before, you know, this new wave of spice companies like us, you didn't know what cinnamon even looked like or where it came from or what black peppercorns are. So we were starting to think, like, what could we do to do the same thing for sugar? And so we're starting to take ideas and find a way to make a kind of single-origin, equitably-sourced sugar that's traced all the way back to the farm. That sounds absolutely sublime. I just read, by the way, an article that one of the latest um, uh, things just to, to rev up your metabolism is to put um, cinnamon in your breakfast coffee. Wow. Great. Yeah. yeah, I think spices so, also have all these various health benefits. And 
And I think a well, lot of people... Well, if you have, if you're of, a person who, who, who likes sugar and, and coffee, I mean, I don't happen to like sugar and coffee, but a lot of people do have sugar and coffee. Uh, wouldn't it be great then to, to have this, you could market it as an, a rev, revving up your metabolism with cinnamon sugar in your coffee? Yeah, yeah, and our royal cinnamon from Vietnam is known for being this intensely sweet cinnamon. So actually, we do know a lot of people, especially people that have sensitivities to sugar, um, that are really using using cinnamon a lot more uh, throughout all their cooking in place of it. Uh-huh. Well, I love cinnamon. I remember reading uh, somebody's uh, cookbook, um, and she always, I think it must have been from the Middle East, because she always put cinnamon in her salad dressing, her oil and vinegar oh, dressing. Wow. And I started doing that. I mean, it doesn't make it sweet. Uh, it, it it makes it just more intense. You know, it yeah. sharpens the flavor of your, of your dressing. So yeah, I that makes a lot of sense. Was. Yeah. Yeah. Often when I find that my uh, uh, like kind of dishes are a little too one note, I try to look at adding a little bit of sweetness. And actually, I also really like using allspice for that. In general, across Palestinian cuisine, allspice is used in a number of different kind of savory applications, whether it's in like beef kebabs or in chicken rubs. And we actually have a spice blend with with a kind of Palestinian American chef, Chef Reem from the Bay Area in San Francisco. Uh, and so she made a baharat seasoning uh, uh, with us, and, and that one is actually quite allspice heavy. And I always shy away from using kind of sweeter spices and savory dishes, but I think you're missing out on it. And actually Thanksgiving is a great time to kind of play around with some of these sweeter spices, cloves and allspice and ginger um, and cinnamon and all that in savory applications because it really – it, it, people think it'll overpower, but it really just kind of balances it out in a really nice way. Yeah. Now, um, do you have all, all of these things on t- two things? One, your website. Let's let's go over that again for everybody to go on. It's yeah, burlap our website. Is, that's right, burlap and barrel. B u r l a p a n d b a r r e l dot com. One one L. Over eighty spices there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to spell the name anymore. But but we have a lot of spice on there. We recently added these, like, really cute, reusable printed gift bags that, that just make a, a nice thing. I've been using them as produce bags and as toiletry bags and all that stuff that I've been traveling. Um, but but we've just – and we've – anyway, we're, we're just ready for the holidays, I hope, this year. Every year we cross our – we work all year, and then November rolls around, and we cross our fingers and hope that the work that we did – was was what what needed to be done? Yeah. Now you have diff- you can order different themes for um, your basic spice gift box, right? Yeah, that's right. We we you can order whatever you want in our spices, and they'll all compact really beautifully. Um, but we also have a build your own like gift set where you can just choose any six, nine, twelve spices. It'll come with a discount. It'll come with free shipping, and it'll come kind of ready to be gifted. That seems great. Uh, I mean, the uh, the whole um, the whole market has heated up in spices, but so has the, the number of spice companies. I was a little curious about how this affected uh, the local producers when they're yeah, people I'll tell knocking you, like, on their door. Yeah, I was actually I was thinking about this too, and I just for fun looked up McCormick's revenue, and it's four billion dollars a year so it's still we're still all like everybody all together all the kind of new wave of spice companies that's equitably sourcing and working directly with farmers and all that stuff that we're really proud of uh i think we're i think we're all taking over more of the grocery aisle there's still a long way to go and talking about spices and how to cook with them and where they come from and why that even matters like we're doing here is, is so so important but the people that care is still a pretty small percentage of people. So I think that there's also strength in numbers where hopefully mm-hmm. the more companies you, cause right now no one company can kind of fill out a full spice shelf. You know, if you go to like one of the fancy grocery stores or even you just see like there's so many spices and formats and sizes and all that. But I think maybe together all the spice companies that are kind of, kind of preaching the same gospel 
um, we'll be able to kind of start taking over the spice aisle. And then when you're looking for spices, you'll have a few different choices, all of which are great. So I think it's uh-huh. really nice. But the farmers have all been growing with us, and they're all they're happy, and we plan with them six months, a year ahead of time. And so it's been really cool to see the farmers bringing on other farmers, their neighbors, training the community, all of that, because the farmers are excited themselves about the model and, and are really excited to grow with us. So it hasn't been a problem of supply. It's really been about just getting more and more people asking the questions of where their spices come from. Right. And the, the thing that I'm having a lot of trouble with is figuring out the blends, really. Um, there seems yeah. to be, and they seem to have these generic names like m- the Mediterranean blend. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's just how a lot of people end up cooking. I think people in America, are, I don't know, like they get a little intimidated by spices. And so I think the spice companies have like tried to like take a step towards them and make these very easy to use, very generic blends. But they're mostly salt and garlic. <laughs> That's the spoiler alert. You know, like McCormick sells more Montreal steak seasoning and chicken adobo seasoning than anything else. Um, but really, really, it's hard to find out where they come from. And, and that's part of the game that all the big spice companies played. And that's why we were interested in doing origin blends so that they were not us making blends in the U.S. So it's, a, mm-hmm. you know, to some specification. But really kind of with the, working with the farmers to do things that, that they... That, that they thought represented their food um, and the spices and the ingredients that grow in their part of the world. And, and if you do that, you get something that tastes so much better than what you're going to find off the shelf of some generic Mediterranean blend. Uh, how hard is it uh, importing this stuff? I mean, the, I, I mean, I know a lot of Spanish food companies have had terrible times with the, immigra- with the uh, importation of, of ingredients. Yeah, it, it's been the, the, the global pandemic and the, the whole supply chain backup has made it a lot more challenging um, just because sometimes it takes a long time to, to get space on a, on a boat or on an airplane. Or even like we, our last harvest of cumin arrived in Kabul, which we're bringing in from Afghanistan, the day the Taliban took over. And so that, <sighs> that just, you know, put it, we, we, were, we thought it would be stranded and that would be that. But after a few months, when things quieted down a little bit, um, we were able to get it trucked through Uzbekistan and on a plane into the U.S. Oh, and so, so the whole have, turbulence of the world. We, we yeah. are totally um, dependent on your wild mountain Cuban. <laughs> well, that's, that's really good to hear. And, and, and we really like, I think the farmers, it grows wild. And the foragers are up in, in northern Afghanistan. And we wanted to be able to just get them paid, even if we didn't know, you know, before the banks shut down. And even now we've had to be really creative with the ways that we can get money into, back to the farmers and back to the foragers. And so it's, it's really hard, but the U.S. doesn't, doesn't regulate spices that, that don't grow domestically. So they care about, you know, chilies and garlic and things like that. But spices, for the most part, grow in tropical and subtropical climates and and we don't have a big domestic spice production. So they oversee spices from a food safety perspective, but there isn't a lot of local competition, let's say, for cinnamon, you know, or for even turmeric farming and things like that. So it's been an interesting thing to navigate. Often it's this kind of global supply chain craziness that we've been really trying to make sure that that we can get the farmers paid, that, that, that product doesn't spoil on the vine or in the fields. Um, and that we're able to keep things moving without them getting stuck in some, some corner of the world. But that's been our specialty. That's what we do as a company is, you know, we're, we're a spice company, but that means that we're, we're, we know how to get spices from now we're importing from 23 countries into the U.S. And so, so we've been able to kind of get creative about how we move things and, and still keep all these wonderful spices uh, in stock. Well, no, is, is the U.S. the biggest non-native market for, for um, spices that, that are they're grown in other areas. I mean, like, are we yeah. the biggest market for Afghanistan? The saffron is so f- fabulous from, from Afghanistan. 
Yeah, you're, you're right. We bring in our saffron from Afghanistan, which is an interesting story because a lot of the saffron farming in Afghanistan is a result of the government trying to convince uh, opium producers to stop right. growing poppy seeds and start transitioning to something that was equally high value but very legal. But 90% of the world's saffron comes out of Iran, and, and some meaningful percent of it gets kind of rebranded as Spanish saffron or packed in Spain or something like that, oh, really? uh, you know, in the way, just because it, you can sell it for a lot more money. But the right. U.S. is a big spice consumer, but India is both a way bigger spice producer and a way bigger spice consumer. So they're bringing stuff in from all over the world, but also many, many spices are native to India. Um, and so they have a very, very healthy industry of, of what they're producing. Right. Well, it's a fascinating world. And, um I don't know how you keep up with all the stuff going on now. I mean, there must be a gazillion spices that you don't even know about, right? Yeah, and that, that gets us excited. You know, it's really fun to be able to, like, introduce somebody to a spice they never knew existed. So many people that are kind of outside of West African cuisine and, and, and kind of culture don't, don't know about Iru. And even, even oh, there, yeah, you sent us like, that. We, we, we really, yeah. uh, we whipped through that. We, we used it on everything. I don't know what you're supposed to do with it, but I used it on everything. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's I would say like to Peter, salty, what's, it, what's so wonderful about this, whatever the dish was, is it say, oh, it has a secret ingredient in his <laughs> Yeah. And sure enough, yeah. that's what he did with it. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, it's amazing. No, but that's how much fun is it to find an ingredient that maybe you didn't know existed before, and all of a sudden uh, you blow through a jar of it, and you was definitely oh, yeah. one of those great surprises. Yeah, that and and since you sent us that uh, the grains of paradise, I found it in, in more people's uh, cookbooks and and um, dishes that their recipes and stuff. Uh, grains of paradise. Yeah, yeah. I never heard of it yeah, before. It, Greens of Paradise are, are so fun and give and give such a kind of interesting kind of I don't know between peppery and cardamomy kick to, to foods and I I really like them um, and also another one that that is a little bit new to us you know even for our knowledge is uh, there there's a group that that's growing mesquite trees and so we have wild mesquite powder and people think mesquite it's going to be smoky because we smoke yeah. mesquite wood when we grill. But this is the powder of made out of the fruit pulp, and so it's actually yeah. this kind of vanilla, chocolatey kind of sweet, sweet fruit powder that it's just so, so good. So we're trying to is make that like more for, of a thing and get baking. people excited about that. Is that yeah, for baking? It's for baking. It's for coffee and tea and hot chocolate, wow. and, and all kinds of for oatmeal, uh, for cookies. Yeah, it's it's really it's really one that that when people start using it, they it's hard for them to stop using it in their cooking. Yeah, well, cookies. I mean, I've never received more cookbooks on cookies as I have this season. And they're coming. Yeah, what, back. what are you cooking now? What what cookbook are you going through now? Oh, well, we we just interviewed um, uh, Rose Levy uh, uh, on the the Cookie Bible, and um, wow. then. Yeah, and and we're waiting to interview um, what's her name, um, the milk bar lady, has a new cookie cookbook as well. Uh, oh yeah, and, uh, and there's somebody else has. I mean, it just seems it's the time of the year, but it also seems that there are a lot more people going into nostalgic comfort foods, and cookies have to have to be in that category. And you can get yeah. you can get your fix. Without having, you know, it, it's compatible with the nutritious, um, you know, consciousness, the new nutrition consciousness. So I don't know. I think that's how I've analyzed it. Uh, one that, quick that sounds thing like you're going to be eating very well. <laughs> I guess. But one, just people go on your website, which is burlap and spelled out barrel. 1L.com, and you can order right off the website, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we also recently crossed 7,500 five-star reviews. 
So you can also read and see photos of other people's and we have, uh, you know, what they're making with it. We have great recipes. You know, it's really, we're really trying to make it easy for you to like find the right spice for you and pick the ones. But if not, email us. We have a really cool team of great bakers and cooks and butchers and all that. And they're just dying to talk to you about spices and help you find the right ones. So we really take this like kind of customer support thing seriously and, and really, really want people to talk to us. Well, as usual, I love talking to you, Ori. You're welcome back. And, and Ori comes, listeners, about every other month and gives us the, the new lowdown and what's happening in the world of spices. Thank you, as usual, Ori, for talking to us. Yeah, great to talk to you. Have I hope we don't talk before the new year. Have a happy new year, and I hope everybody, this is the Super Bowl of cooking. So I hope everybody oh, right. is, is fully stocked <laughs> and ready to go. If only it would stop raining. (laughs) Okay, as usual, thank you. And hello to Ethan for us. Okay, will do. Send your regards.